welcome to BYOB, the Bring Your Own Book Podcast. I'm Tilly. I'm Nikki. And I'm Kelly. This week we'll be talking about The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. And we also have a special guest for this episode, a PhD student in history with an honors undergrad degree in classics. She also happens to be my sister. Welcome, Cora. Hello. So glad to be here. We're glad to have you. Yeah, it's great to have our first guest on. I feel so honored. (laughs) (laughs) We're honored to have you, honestly. Oh my god, the flattery. (laughs) Well, she's now part of the BYOB crew, so that's very... Aspirational. Yes, big honor. Is there merch? I'm only here for the merch. (laughs) Um, We'll get back to you. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) So, Kelly, would you like to read the synopsis of this book that we read? Greece in the Age of Heroes. Patroclus... An awkward young prince has been exiled to the court of King Peleus and his perfect son, Achilles. By all rights, their paths should never cross, but Achilles takes the shamed prince as his friend, and as they grow into young men skilled in the arts of war and medicine, their bond blossoms into something deeper, despite the displeasure of Achilles' mother, Thetis, a cruel sea goddess. But then word comes that Helen of Sparta has been kidnapped, Torn between love and fear for his friend, Patroclus journeys with Achilles to Troy, little knowing that the years that follow will test everything they hold dear. Bum bum bum! (laughs) Oh, it sounds almost as good as it was. (laughs) I know, but I'm stressed. (laughs) My great reading. (laughs) Dramatic. It was not, but anyways... So, Nikki, why don't you introduce the drink we've chosen for this episode? I'd love to. This week, we're doing a Greek-style mulled wine with semi-sweet red wine simmered with cinnamon sticks, cloves, and orange peel. Technically, to be historically accurate, Cora was telling me that it should have been watered-down wine, but I said, that sounds gross, and I don't (laughs) want to drink it. Yep. So, um, we went with this instead, and it smells lovely. My whole house smells lovely. It smells like Christmas. So why don't we go ahead and give it a sip? Here we go. Cheers. Mmm. Cinnamony. It's really good. (laughs) Watered down wine, Cora. Like, I remember my first beer. Like, watered down wine. (laughs) I know. And they would have these parties, these symposiums, and it was the guest of honor at the symposium would say what the ratio was going to be for that evening, for that party. (laughs) Oh. What a prestigious choice. <laughs> yep, oh. and then they'd all get drunk and talk philosophy. It was great. Do you oh, think it's because my... they were all, like, really cheap? And they were like, oh, we just need to, like, really spread the wine out, so we're going to put water in it. Like, it what would... you do with, like, your parents' <laughs> liquor cabinet when you're a teenager. <laughs> I I think it was partly that, but I think it was also the quantity that they were drinking. But it was also mm. because the wine, actually, that they were making back then was more potent than what we have now. Oh, Mm. true. Okay, brief little tangent. I'm not Greek. I'm half Portuguese. But my grandpa, who just passed away last September, um, every time we had wine or anything, every time he would tell us how much percentage of alcohol was in it. So that just reminded me when you said that. (laughs) It's always like, oh, see this? It's from Italy. 12%. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I I said to share that. that. Yeah. (laughs) 
On the lovely note of the drink, um, why don't we go ahead and give our star ratings out of five? So we all have kind of our different ways of rating this book and any book really. So we like to give a little explanation to kind of tell you kind of our thought process behind it. So Cora, why don't you start us off since you're our guest expert and you've actually read the book several times now, haven't you? I have. I read it first when I was in my undergrad and years ago now, and I fell in love with the story and the lyrics of the tale and such. And so honestly, just because I keep coming back to it, I would have to give it a at least four and a half. If there are a few things that bug me about it, but just nitpicky things, because the fact is, I keep coming back to it. It is a comfort read for me now. It will draw me into its story. It will make me, well, sad, but also it'll, it, it, it feels like a warm hug. It's just coming back to it. And there's nothing about the plot that bugs me enough to take away a full star. So four and a half for me at the very least. Wow. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Nikki? Um, I gave this book four out of five stars. Um, though hearing Cora kind of say it's like a comfort read, I, I feel like this could be that book for me. Um, I started off, it was a five star for me all around. I was like, yes, this is great. Cause I was in it for this like sweet budding love. And then it got kind of into the war stuff. And I was like, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't really care that much about <laughs> the the politics of what's happening at the time give me more love and they did so four stars love it kelly what about you well i'm on the fence i'm between a three and a half and a four and i still haven't made my mind up i don't know what it is but i really enjoyed this book i think i was just expecting a little bit of a different tone or style mm -hmm. And it's not even that I didn't enjoy it, because I really did enjoy it. I think I'm just still kind of like, huh, okay, it wasn't exactly what I expected, but I really enjoyed it still. So I think I'm just, like, stuck, I don't know, in my own <laughs> feelings or something, I don't know. But I really enjoyed it. I love Greek mythology. Like I said before we started recording, I'm, like, so excited Cora's here to just give us the lowdown of everything. But I just, there's something that's holding me back from giving it a four, even though I really loved it. I don't know if I'll reread it. I think I would rather read her other book, Circe. Or, sorry, God, Circe. Ah! Circe? Both Cersei. work. <laughs> Both work? Yeah. Oh, there we go. Um, we'll just get into screeching that. screeching into the microphone. <laughs> sorry. sorry. No, I love it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but I, I really loved it. Um, but... I don't know, three and a half or four for me. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, nobody's going to uh, police you on this. Nobody's <laughs> yeah. going to say, I will. Like, well, wait a minute, Kelly. <laughs> like, oh, pick Corbin. one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I had a similar uh, experience as kind of all of you. I also rated it a four out of five. I don't think it's a book I could reread, honestly. <laughs> Cora had warned me before years ago that uh, I could read this book and it would emotionally devastate me. And she knows me very well. Uh, I was pretty devastated, um, but I really loved it. I was really drawn into the writing. I I loved all the little personal details because, you know, obviously this was set a long time ago and I wasn't alive then. No one I knew was alive then, but she made it feel really relatable. Like there were all these little details 
about texture of walls that people were touching or, you know, the fact that the servants would put tapestries over the castle walls to kind of drown out some sound and try and muffle things. And with all those little details, that shows a lot of care and research that goes into a book. And it really makes me appreciate kind of the craft of the writer. And I really enjoyed it. So four out of five. It made me cry a lot, though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I didn't cry, but I felt sad. (laughs) I'm a crier, so I cry at everything. I'm not a crier, but I listened to it once at work when I was like, we were allowed to listen to audiobooks while we worked, and I made the mistake of saying, I'll just reread this. Listened to it, started crying, had to go to the bathroom for like 20 minutes to calm myself. (laughs) Well, and it's, it's so funny, too, because you kind of know that it's doomed from the start, right? I mean, I think a lot of people are familiar with the myth of Achilles and knowing that he was this great warrior and that he had this weakness and then he tragically died. That was all stuff that I knew. I don't really think that's, could we call that a spoiler? I don't really think so. But um, even knowing that, it still surprised me and still was like heart-wrenching. So why don't we get into some more first impressions? I think I've already kind of beat you to the punch. (laughs) Uh, beat you to the to the mold wine, um, but <laughs> yeah, I guess I can piggyback off of what you just said about the whole like we already knew he was going to die. Like, sorry, people, mm-hmm. if you don't know about Achilles, I don't know, like watch Hercules or something. They mentioned him at the beginning, <laughs> like I don't know the Disney Hercules or whatever. Zero to hero, just yeah. flat. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and that's the gospel to Rome. <laughs> But anyways, so going into it, I knew, yeah, it's going to end sadly, tragically, whatever. Um, I love Greek tragedies. I love those types of plays. I love um, Titus Andronicus by Shakespeare. Like, I just love that kind of atmosphere for some reason. I don't know what what it is. We'll we'll figure that out. Um, But I knew from the beginning, and I think I just went into it being like, okay, I'm prepared. I'm prepared. So I had like like my armor on like Achilles and I was just like I'm good to go so I was waiting for the end I got there and I was like oh this is sad but this is nice but I also I don't know I just I feel like the tone overall I was it was just like it was prepping you you know like we're like Mm -hmm. okay it's not gonna go well (laughs) it's not gonna go well (laughs) definitely it's not like there was a lot of humor happening no, they're no. really. I don't remember a funny part. Was there a funny part? Maybe like a line or two between the two men. But there's like, some sass. Yeah, that's. But that's I, I wasn't like rolling in the aisles. Yeah, like. <laughs> yeah, I think um, for me, I a lot of there's a lot of segments of this that I liked that I kind of related back to "Call Me by Your Name," and mm. I was. It was something I wasn't expecting at all from this book. I didn't know what the tone was going to be. I didn't know what her writing style was going to be like. But I was really pleased by how she wrote this young love. But it kind of seemed, it like transcended human love. And Mm -hmm. that was really nice. I was crying a lot, but because it was beautiful, not because I was sad about it necessarily. (laughs) Right. It's kind of that like achy, nostalgic, angsty feeling. But the good stuff. Kind of a good pain. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It was great. (laughs) For me, the first time that I read it years ago, and this is going to be coming from my classics background, is that a couple of us decided to read it to see like if it did the myth justice. Mm -hmm. And 
in my opinion, it does because it goes into it in Madeline Miller. She she's a classicist by training, mm-hmm. and so she brings that into it because this book goes into the myths much more than just simply the Iliad. She's combining a bunch of them because the Iliad you don't get any of this background, mm-hmm. and so she's mm-hmm. combining the other myths and bringing it forward and putting weaving them together into this beautiful story. So for me, it was that initial like deep sigh like oh yeah she's doing this well and then it was like oh my god now i'm sad (laughs) yeah so i have a question for you then cora Mm -hmm. is patroclus in kind of the original achilles myths because i didn't recognize his name and i didn't really now that i've read the iliad i'm not (laughs) i wasn't ever very interested in classics in the same way that you were but um the name wasn't familiar to me can you speak on it a bit sure he is he is in the iliad um he plays his role is much more on the sidelines in the Iliad, mm. but he is still the focus of it in a really interesting way because the Iliad starts with the line that says, Sing, O goddess, of that vengeful wrath of Achilles, son of Peleus. And so right away, the focus of the Iliad is the wrath. And you find out later on that that wrath is, spoiler alert, because of what happens to Patroclus and how Achilles then has to avenge him. But he's never really mentioned a lot. You see little snippets. You get to learn about him a little bit. And even at the time that it was written in the in ancient Greece, there was a lot of debate about this because this is what the Greeks would read. They love and listen to as well when it was an oral poem. Um, the story of the Iliad was important to a lot of them. Alexander the Great slept with this under his pillow. And was a big, uh, he he loved the love story between Patroclus and Achilles. That was his jam. There there was debates about it. So he was a figure in the initial Iliad, but he hasn't been explored. Madeline Miller does a great job exploring his background. Wow, I'm so glad you're here because I don't know any of this backstory and it really enriches the reading experience that I had. So thinking back to it and kind of like applying all these new thoughts is just, it's gonna be really cool. Oh, I'm glad if I, oh, I'm so glad to be here. If I start going off on too many tangents, just stop me because I could talk about this a lot. (laughs) Listen, that's Nikki's really great at being like, off topic, let's get back to it. (laughs) All right, good. I'll brace myself. (laughs) I really enjoyed all of the different characters in the book because coming from a theater background, I was like, oh, I've read that play. You know, so like when Agamemnon came on, I was like, I friggin' hate you, but I know you. You know, I was like, I'm ready for your part in this. (laughs) Even his name is kind of evil. His name, some of these names are like, whoa, I wish I could use these names like today. I feel like I would be that weirdo parent, though, where everyone else is like, why would you name your child that? And I'd be like, I don't know. I just did. You know, (laughs) it's just me and little Didamea over here. (laughs) Great. So now we're moving into some book recommendations. (laughs) Great. Okay. So this book recommendation is a little obscure, but I'm going to just go for it because it reminded me in tone and kind of the same literary-ness of an Irish novel called At Swim, Two Boys by Jamie O'Neill. Um, it's a similar kind of tragic love story between two boys. There's this backdrop of war and civil unrest. It's not based in mythology, and so it's not really similar in any kind of tangible way, except that I felt the same feelings as I did in this one. And there's a really beautiful quality of writing. Jamie O'Neill is, like I said, an Irish writer who 
incorporates a lot of kind of traditional Irish slang and Irish language into his novels. And so it's a little bit of a struggle to get into right away. And it is kind of a longer book. But if you enjoyed The Song of Achilles and if it made you feel a lot of feelings, I would recommend At Swim, Two Boys. I don't know if I have a book recommendation. I've been thinking, and I mean, I could just recommend another like Greek mythology kind of book, but I haven't read it yet. So that would be Lore by Alexandra Bracken. I haven't read it yet. I hear it's great, but haven't read it yet. So I don't know if I can recommend that. Um, But it's in the same kind of world of uh, reimagining or retelling of a myth. Um, Except I think this one is more just inspired by a myth and it's set in like modern day times. Um, But yeah, if we're going like sticking true to the themes or the aesthetic. Like, I don't know if I have one. I think of like operas come to mind, but you can't read an opera, folks. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You can edit that out, Vicky. <laughs> I will. <laughs> actually, you better keep it in after you said that. <laughs> I'll put in the audiogram. No, like a little sound bite. <laughs> yeah. Nikki, did this remind you of anything? I know you already talked about um, Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, so if it if we're going for kind of like the the same kind of feeling as the Song of Achilles, I would say Call Me By Your Name. Um, but when we're talking about like the mythology kind of aspect, you know, The Arabian Nights is a really good anthology of myths not from Greece. But I enjoyed a lot of the stories when I was younger and having reread some of them when I am an adult, as an adult, I find that they hold up and you get a whole other sense of what's really going on in these tales because you have kind of the wherewithal of like, you know, metaphor and all that great stuff. So, yeah. What about you, Cora? Ah, oh, well, I mean, the first one I would recommend would be. Madeline Miller's other book, which is Circe or Circe, depending on how you pronounce it, um, which is a lovely read as well. Very, very different um, story, and she includes many other stories as well, but same kind of lyrical writing, which is great. The other book, though, if I can, if I'm allowed to give two, would actually be based more on Arthurian legends. It's a book called. It's a young adult book called Song of the Sparrow. It's by Lisa Ann Sandal, and it's written from the perspective of the Lady of Shalott. Oh, I'm writing that down. It is delightful. It's written, actually, the pages are written as if it were a poem. So it's all only on one side of the page all throughout, which is going back to its poetic roots as like the Multaltur and Tennyson's poems of King Arthur. But it's written from the perspective of a young girl growing up around Arthur in dark Britain. It's very interesting. And it's, it's got the same kind of... Um, a dreaminess about it that I find that Song of Achilles does, and it's got the same kind of depth of feeling, and it's totally enjoyable as well. I don't know if you can tell, but our family is big on feelings. (laughs) That's great! (laughs) I remember, Cora, growing up, you were really into Arthurian myths, so I'm glad to see that there is kind of uh, some of that that's still, like, deep in your heart. Oh, are you kidding? I've got so many books about that on my shelf. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, now that we're done with our lovely book recommendations, we're about to get into the spoiler section. So if you have not read The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller, and you would like to, you should probably click away now because we will fully spoil the ending and everything else. So if you haven't read it, feel free to leave now. Make sure you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts if you like what you're hearing, and read the book and come right back. Okay, we're going to give you a quick little recap of what happens in the rest of the book. So as we mentioned in the synopsis, Patroclus is the narrator of the story, and after an unhappy and violent childhood, he is exiled from his father's kingdom and sent to foster with Achilles in the neighboring kingdom of Phthia. (laughs) Achilles and Patroclus have a beautiful love story starting in their teens, and they spend several happy years in their schooling in the mountains with a centaur Chiron. Achilles' godly power is his gift for fighting. Though he has been forbidden by his mother to let anyone see him fight, Patroclus is more interested in medicine. Now the action of the story really begins once Helen is kidnapped and the Trojan War begins. Achilles' mother Thetis tells them of a prophecy about Achilles and that he will not survive the war. All they know about this timing is that the Trojan prince Hector will die first. So to protect her son, Thetis steals him away from Thea secretly and disguises him as a lady-in-waiting in the small kingdom of Skyros. Patroclus must journey to find him there. Meanwhile, the princess Didymea of Skyros has figured out the disguise and tricked Achilles into secretly marrying her. They conceive a son named Neoptolemus, and Thetis raises him. Ultimately, Achilles and Patroclus are forced to go to war, Ten years go by as they fight in the war, with Achilles triumphing in every fight. Eventually, tensions rise between Achilles and the general Agamemnon, and after much bloodshed and tragedy, Patroclus is killed in battle, and Achilles dies soon after. At the very end, Patroclus' spirit is still around. Though his ashes have been buried with Achilles, no one has carved his name into the monument. The final scene is Thetis listening to all of Patroclus's memories of Achilles and carving his name into the monument. Achilles and Patroclus are together again at last in the underworld. Oh, oh, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, I was just weeping for about the last 30 pages of this book. So that's actually something I wanted to talk about, is that I really wasn't expecting our narrator to fully die 30 pages before the end of the book. I'd never seen that done before. I was like, I wasn't really sure what to do with it. Genius. It was genius. (laughs) I had to go back and read it again because I was, I went half and half. Uh, I read half the book on ebook and then I listened to the audiobook as well. So I kind of went back and forth with this one. And the narrator was great, except some of his pronunciations were like all over the place. So I was like, what? How do I say these words? Um, that's why Cora's here. Well, more of that, more than just that reason. But <laughs> thanks. Um, <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs> yes, you're here for way more than that. But like when he died, I had to go back in the audiobook and then open up the ebook because I was like, wait a second. What? There's still so much left of the book. Like, how is this going to work? And I really loved how the narration shifted, but it was still him telling the story, but it was his spirit telling the story. And I was like, <gasps> oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a lot. <laughs> a lot Nikki, of great. What, what were your feelings? I have too many feelings. <laughs> and yeah. talking about it is bringing them all back. <laughs> I don't know. This, like, this book ruined me. Everything about it was just, like, 
except for the battle part that I didn't care about. Everything <laughs> else was like just so good. And when he fell, Patroclus fell and he died and stuff on the battlefield, hearing about Achilles like finding him and sleeping with his body for oh my god days. Yeah. I I was like crying so much. <laughs> <sighs> The part that really gets me is when he was, Patroclus was talking about when Achilles found out and how his immediate reaction was to go for the sword to end his own life and then realize, no, Patroclus has his sword, so he couldn't end his own life anyway. Oh, I know. (laughs) When Patroclus was about to die, didn't he, he was like, no, no, and he put his hands up to like stop Hector, but I'm like, at the moment when I was reading it, I thought, oh, my God, he's terrified to die because, like, hello, it, this is a bloody uh, war. But I'm also thinking back. I'm like, no, he probably probably didn't want to die because he knew Achilles was about to die because he's like, oh, no, this will set in motion the prophecy and it's my fault. You know? Yeah, because that's what Achilles always says is the, what has Hector ever done to me? This! This is what Hector has done to you! Yeah. Yeah, he's done this. And and it was just so hard to read, especially because Patroclus was really imper- just impersonating Achilles at that point, right? He had kind of given himself up and say, let me go to war because Achilles and Agamemnon were having this, like, stupid man fight about their pride and whatever. And Patroclus was like, you don't understand. This is, you know, turning the tide. I- we have to bring the men back into it. So, Achilles, let me go in your stead. Let me wear your armor. No one will know that it's not you. And the men will be inspired. And then to have just all this happen was just truly too much for me. Too much for me to handle. And I think the, well, you see this in all mythology. I reread the Percy Jackson books very recently, (laughs) and each one of those starts off with a different prophecy kind of explaining what's going to happen through the book, but you don't know how it's going to happen. But as we all know from mythology, those things will happen. Mm-hmm. It's prophesized. It's fate. That's how it's going to be. So it doesn't matter what you do. You're always steering it subconsciously towards that outcome. So knowing that mm-hmm. at the beginning of the book, it was really like analyzing for me, oh, they did this. So that's going to turn into this and this and this and this. And how is that going to steer to the the end moment, essentially? Mm-hmm. And I've never read the Iliad. I knew that um, Patroclus was like kind of a minor character in it, but I didn't know that he was still kind of the catalyst for Achilles' death. So I went into this pretty blind, just being like, Mm -hmm. I know who Achilles is. I even kind of expected maybe that there would be um, the like Thetis dipping him in the river Styx, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And when that didn't happen, I was like, okay. Okay, cool. Like, you know, it's it's mythology. There's lots of different, like, outcomes or whatever. But I was really, like, just totally, like, crazed through this whole thing, being like, what's going to happen? How is he, like, eventually going to meet his demise? Mm -hmm. I have a question for Cora, if that's all right. (laughs) So all right. (laughs) Um, How much do we know about Thetis? Because I... The narrator did a fantastic job on the audiobook of doing her like gravelly kind of choking voice because she's out of the water. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed that. But I was like, 
I also was like, wow, this lady sounds like a terrible, I want to say person. She's not a person, a terrible goddess, you know? But I wonder, is that just because of the lens we're seeing her through? Or like, what Mm. is her story? Because I was like, wow, you're a terrible mother. (laughs) I felt so (laughs) bad. Oh, uh, that's a great question. And it's not something we know a lot of. Theodos is one of the minor gods and goddesses. So there's not a whole necessarily a whole pantheon of stories about her we know very little what we she does appear in the iliad proper a couple of times um she is a kind of a different figure in the iliad she still has that sense of um all-consuming devotion to her son actually the first couple times Mm -hmm. that we meet thetis in the iliad she is um she is defending him against the other gods because in the Iliad itself, you see all the gods are always there and getting into everybody's business and taking sides and being just as petty as the people, even more so actually. (laughs) And so one of the, we often see Thetis defending her son's choices to the other gods, taking the form of supplication, which is on her knees with one hand on like Zeus's leg and one holding his chin and begging him to, like, see reason to give her son the honors he deserves. But then Madeline Miller's portrayal of her is kind of diving into Thetis's darker past and mm-hmm. that gravelly voice and such and the representation of her as being a terrible person, as you said, yeah. is kind of, from from my perspective, Miller drawing on Thetis's story with Peleus, which is truly yeah. tragic, which is the, the sense yeah, that, that God... was very sad. Yes, the the gods were fighting over her to marry her because she was a beautiful, beautiful sea goddess, sea nymph. And then the prophecy came that her son would be greater than their father. And so everyone said, oh, well, don't want that. (laughs) And so they tied her up and left her to be raped. And that's how Achilles came to be born. It was awful. I mean, I really didn't have a lot of sympathy for Thetis in the rest of the story, Mm -hmm. but I found that scene really hard to get through Mm -hmm. and really hard to see. And it really did kind of, I think, clarify a lot of her journey where that's so much trauma and anger and despair and betrayal and then just wanting to make the absolute most of it with the thing that she got out of it, which was Achilles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it did kind of make me understand her motivations, but it doesn't make her a good person. No, and I think Miller does a good job in that in showing that, well, it's hard to say whether people are good people. Like, in this story, there's not a lot of characters who you think, oh, yeah, they're great. Like, Patroclus, he tries, but he still does some bad things. And we see Mm -hmm. that throughout. And so I think Miller is showing that gray morality. But especially when it comes to Thetis, I think it demonstrates her just uncaring about the mortal world. Well, yeah, because I thought it was interesting you're like, she is like, so devoted to her son because I didn't see it like that. I thought she was very selfish because even though she wants Achilles to become a god and like go to Olympus, I was like, it's because you want that for yourself. Like you want the glory. And so I felt she was like a momager. Like she's like a dance mom. (laughs) That's what I read. That's my favorite. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, smile, smile, honey. You know, like it was like, (laughs) well, it's kind of, no, you go. 
Canadian off. I'll, I'll say my really quick thing, which is actually, I'm just going to hearken back to um, the Cruel Prince podcast where Nikki said a really great You're thing. You're going to say exactly what I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Holy moly, we're mind melted <laughs> yeah. today. Yeah. Um, which is that, you know, Nikki was reading The Cruel Prince and seeing the Fae as kind of having a different set of moralities Mm -hmm. and a different set of, like, social kind of ways of being and that you can't kind of apply your own sense of, is this person a good person because they've got their own whole other thing going on. I'm not explaining it as well. Maybe, Nikki, you take it away. Yeah, I was literally just going to say kind of, like, beating a dead horse in a sense. My... (laughs) My whole thing about books like this or books where there's any kind of like otherworldly creature or person or anything like that is just like, how much can we really take from our human values and apply to them? Now, I don't have the background in Greek mythology that Cora does, so maybe she can correct me on this, but we've been literally talking about Thetis being a goddess. She's not immortal. She doesn't have mm-hmm. the same kinds of wants and needs and desires as a mortal would. And we see that translated really beautifully to Achilles with his kind of aloofness to how he mm-hmm. treats other people and how he lives his life. It's just a different interpretation from how Thetis lives her life because they grew up and live in different situations. He has Patroclus there. He was generally a very happy child. You kind of see, though lonely. And I think that that's very clear when you you kind of see, like, Patroclus talk often about him being, um, like, I just, like, he doesn't really understand how Achilles can have such a kind of, like, starry-eyed approach to certain things and not really understand what's really going on. But I think that's because he's a demigod and that there's just parts of his mother that are ingrained in him. So how how mortal is he? Or wow. how mortal can Thetis really be when she's not mortal at all? I think that's you know, Nikki, perfect. I would really love you to cut out my whole other thing before that because <laughs> you just did so much so much better. So sorry, Cora, go ahead. Really good. <laughs> That ties in so well with actually one of my favorite quotations from the piece, what you said, that we can't judge um, Thetis based on another set of morals that we can't even begin to understand. But we also get to see a bit of that transformation in Achilles at the end, after Patroclus has been killed. One of my favorite quotes, and it makes its way into every, um, every iteration of the retelling of the Iliad. It's even in the movie Troy. And it's when... Hector is begging Achilles not to fight at the very end. And Achilles says, there are no pacts between lions or men. I will eat you raw. Oh, And that is the moment that you realize Patroclus was every mortal piece of Achilles. He is now, he is not human anymore. He is now full demigod. That morale, that morality is gone from him. He is now a fully his mother's son. He has transcended. He has become his godhood. Wow, I'm about to cry again, and I just think you're so smart and wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it's funny that you brought up the movie Troy, which I have not seen, but I did read a lot of magazines around the time that uh, that came out. Mostly involving shirtless Orlando Bloom. (laughs) Yeah, all I could remember about Paris is that Orlando Bloom played him. And so when they keep talking about, like, 
uh, Paris stole Helen away. What's Paris got that everyone else doesn't have? I'm like, it's Orlando Bloom. <laughs> yeah. That's... That's what. That's why she stayed. Like she went willingly. Come on now. Yeah. yeah like hello. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> um. Yeah. I. Okay. I think. Okay. Well, I have a question because I know what I think, but who do you? Who do you think is the real um tragic hero in this book? Do you think it's Achilles? Do you think it's Patroclus? Because I think it's Achilles. Because I found myself throughout the book unsure of whether or not I liked Achilles because there were moments where I was like, okay, like when they were, um, I think they were on the beach together at one point, And this was before they had been intimate. Um, he was talking about just like being famous and like what that means. And he was just kind of revealing stuff about how he feels about it all and his mother and everything. And I was like, oh, that's great because you're, lowering your walls and I can see more about who you actually are and not just what people think of you or think you are, you know? And, but at the end, when he, when everything was just like, okay, no, no holds barred, whatever. Like my, my man is dead. I'm just going to go to it. I'm going to kill Hector. I'm going to die. You know, like that's where I was like, oh my God, he's finally living his truth. He's finally being himself, you know? And that's when I started to fall in love with him. But I think he's the real tragic hero because, yeah, like all he really wanted was love this whole time. Love from his mother, love from Greece, love from Patroclus. And I felt like Patroclus loved Achilles more than Achilles loved him until the end because he was so like he held back so much because of who he is. So yeah, that's my question slash thought. <laughs> uh, was that question for me or for everybody? Everyone. <laughs> Everyone. I can jump go for it, Cora. I can jump in really quickly and just say, well, the fact that you thought Achilles didn't love him as much as Patroclus loved him. Going back to what Nikki was saying about morality, if he's a demigod, can we even judge how much they love someone? Because the gods, they don't have to deal with losing their loved ones. They're always living. And so we have a hard time understanding that. But for tragic figure, tragic hero, I would say Achilles as well, just because it's, it in the end, it's his own hubris that is his undoing. So for a, from a literary sense, he's the tragic hero for me. But from a tragic character perspective, I'm going to go out there and say Chiron, because he just trains <gasps> heroes and then sends them all off to die. <laughs> I know. I loved Kyron so much. I know. He, I, I was just picturing Pierce Brosnan the whole time. From the Percy Jackson movies? Yeah. No. <laughs> I couldn't not. <laughs> I'm just going to agree with you, Cora, and say I, I feel the same way. Where my, my first thought, my first instinct was like, oh, it's Patroclus who's the tragic hero. But then I thought about it more and I was thinking, you know, Patroclus was always aware of his place in this story. Like He always knew that he was there to be Achilles' companion. He just wanted to be around him. He didn't have any aspirations to be heroic or to be known or legendary. He just wanted to be around Achilles, and he was even happy to kind of shrink into the shadows and to just be the one who loved him quietly. And Achilles never allowed that. So it's interesting, Kelly, that you said you, you didn't think that Achilles loved him as much as Patroclus did, because I felt exactly the same devotion from both of them. I think they just showed it differently, right? And because yeah. we're seeing it all through Patroclus's eyes, we know exactly how much he loves Achilles. Yeah. But for me, those moments where Achilles is just so unabashedly 
um, wanting Patroclus to be there with him all the time. He's not ashamed. I don't think he ever has been. And so I agree that I think it's Achilles who's the tragic hero. I actually think the most tragic character is Briseis. Oh, yeah. Oh, she really got me. Holy moly. She came in so late in the story that I was yeah. like, I don't know if I'm ready to get attached to another character. But um, I damn it, I did. And then the very end. <laughs> and, yeah. I know. And literally, I wrote down a note of like, I feel bad for literally every woman in this book. Iphigenia. <gasps> oh, God. Iphigenia, yeah. Didymea, Briseis, um, Thetis at a certain point. I mean, I think that, I think that's all the women I can think of that were named. And they all had such terrible, terrible times of it all. Yeah. There's a terrible play, if you want to know more about the terrible lives of women post-Trojan War, called The Trojan Women. Yup. Nope. It's a terrible play <laughs> that is written about the aftermath of the Trojan War after the Greeks take all the Trojan women and enslave them and rape them. And it's terrible. Yeah. It's family fun for all. Mm -hmm. It's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so I didn't mean that I didn't think Achilles loved him like the whole time. I just feel like at the end of the book, then I was like, okay, I see it. I feel it now. And I think it's just because of what Nikki was saying is like, he's a demigod. So I don't remember the exact quote, but there was a part in the book where uh, Patroclus was talking to Achilles and Achilles was was just like super confident and like, yes, well, it's my destiny. I will do this. Or like, obviously people love me, you know? Like, I think it was when they arrived at some port and everyone was like, Achilles, Achilles, and going goo goo gaga for him. He was like, yes, it's my time. Like, he he's just of a different breed, you know? Like, it's just how he is. But I think it's, yeah, it's just me again reading it through the lens of a mortal, a mortal woman with self-esteem issues, right? <laughs> being like, why? Yeah, right. Like, just being like, oh my god, could you like have some give and take here? But it's just, again, different paths, different ways of life, and he's a demigod. So, but yeah, I mean, at the end, how could you read that and not feel like he loved him? Like, he slept with a dead carcass, a dead body, for days, you know? Like, I think that Achilles is the kind of tragic hero, but I'm not really interested mm -hmm. in it because mm -hmm. you know he mm -hmm. is because that's how it works. You know what I mean? I don't think there's like an argument for Patroclus to be the hero because he goes out, he says, I'm not going to do anything. And then he starts to fight. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's not hero they, material, ladies. They talked about how he was not a good fighter, but he gets his kind of ego gets flared up, I guess, after he kills somebody and he goes, great, maybe I can do this. And then he goes through and like continues on with the battle. And it's kind of like, duh, <laughs> obviously <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that because you're just pushing the prophecy through for Achilles to then become the hero. But I don't think that he was very heroic either, honestly, because well, from what we see with Patroclus kind of begging him to go and fight, even though he doesn't want to because of his pride, Patroclus was saying, if you wait long enough, it's not going to matter that you go and fight because nobody's going to care about you anyway, because they're all going to be so mad that it took you so long. And yeah. so for me... I feel like it would have 
obviously I cannot rewrite mythology. <laughs> I mean, I, I could, I guess. But, Fan fiction. <laughs> but it would have been a lot more heroic if he would have been like, I'll put aside this very petty mortal stance that I have right now and be godly and fight for the good of the Grecian people, which he did not do. So I don't know. I don't have really like strong thoughts. Maybe I do. Maybe that was a strong thought, but it felt like a strong <laughs> thought. Don't undermine yourself. But I don't care. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's a, a completely fair point, and that idea of the hubris that he's portraying here, and this, we all think it's petty. We're reading this, we're just going, oh my god, what, okay, obviously he's like a 23-year-old man with ego issues, that he's having a temper tantrum in his tent over there, but it's hard for us, not just of the time and of the non-demigod variety, but the idea of excellence and of virtue and honor was such an important thing for the Greeks. That idea of honor and it's hammered home in all of your classics classes is is the idea of arete, which is an excellence. And it's that you have to be recognized for that excellence for it to be excellence. And so that when he was not being recognized for that, his honor was quite literally being taken away like we it's a part of his identity that's what he has built his life around so i agree like i i'm also not interested i'm like achilles just get over yourself but it's <laughs> hard to put ourselves in that mindset and at the time when this was being orally transmitted and written achilles was the ideal even though he made mistakes you're like oh i want to be like him he's my hero which we look at and go oh no really but <laughs> It was. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's a great point. At the beginning of the book, because I started listening, I started the book listening to it, and then I switched ebook and then went back at the end to the audio. But the narrator's voice was so mature that I kept forgetting that the book started off with him being nine, like Patroclus being nine, and then 10, and then like 12, and then, you know, like it was going through year by year almost so because i was like oh my god like how old are you like what is happening here and then i was like he's nine he killed a man by accident or killed another child by accident um and then when we get to the very end i totally forgot that the trojan war was so long so it was like that made it worse because they were like oh my god Achilles, you're going to die at this war. And then it was like, no, we have 10 years together still. So we're just drawing out this tragedy and we're growing older together. And they still were not very old, you know? They were 27, I think he said, like, towards the end of the book. He's like, we're merely 27, like, still boys, essentially, or something like that. Yeah. So I kept having to remind myself that because of the narrator and also just the time, I guess. I was like, oh my god, how old are these people? Like, ah. But, and then I kept, I have a question, again, I kept going back and forth between why is everyone so pissed off that these two men are together? Because I thought homosexuality was not a big thing back then. But then they were like, oh, it's because when you get older, you have to, like, ditch your boyfriend and marry. And then I was like, okay, but is it because Patroclus was exiled that people are pissed off or is it because he's immortal or is it because of both like what is going on it's difficult because the Greeks had a tradition you're right that the Greeks were 
decently okay with homosexuality compared to a lot of other cultures today and in the past. Um, like, hello, Sparta. They were all having sex with each other. Yes. In the war. Yes. Um, Sparta was later. Riddle me that. Sparta was later, oh. and so that idea is still... Um, it's still developing. The big thing about the Greeks is that they are in, they follow a thing called pederasty, which is the okay. social function of it not just being a homosexual relationship, but it's being an older man and a young boy. Yes. Nope. Okay. I have heard of that. Yes. Yeah. And it's the idea that, okay, if we're going to get into semantics here of like the older man would top the young boy. And it'd be teaching him the ways of life, would be teaching him the ways of sex, would, but it would often be arranged by the boy's parents. Because <gasps> it wasn't just a sexual thing, it was also a social yeah. thing. It was introducing him to the, the world. And I'm saying this, and it obviously sounds horrific to us, and I'm saying young boy, and I'm not meaning like five or six, I'm meaning like ten to twelve, which is still awful, but it was a very normal thing. And so those kinds of relationships between young boys were also accepted to a certain extent. But as they got older, that was less so. And we see that a little bit in Miller when she's talking about when all the growing up in Thea, when all the young boys are discovering the servant girls and sometimes each other. But then they're supposed to grow out of it. Okay, because at the very, at the get-go, when he's like, you're going to be Achilles' companion, I literally wrote a note saying, companion? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. By this? <laughs> yeah. I was like, what does this mean? And then they never had sex until later on. So I was like, oh, okay, so it's not like, oh, you've been chosen to be his sex slave. It's like, you're just going to be his friend. Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, I um, I tried a new thing while I was reading this book, which was book tabbing, that I know mm. you and Nikki kind of have talked about before, um, which is, I don't know if I did it right, but what I did was I assigned different colors to different book tabs, and then I would just put them in whenever I felt things. Mm -hmm. So I had blue tabs for I feel sad, and pink tabs for I feel happy, and then yellow tabs kind of became my like catch-all term, and then purple was like quotes I liked. And then I was looking back at my copy of the book afterwards, and I was like, hmm, interesting how all the tabs after a certain point in this book were blue. Because <laughs> I was just like, sad, 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 sad. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a lot of pink tabs at the beginning because I was happy when they started discovering each other, Achilles yes. and Patroclus. I thought, or Patroclus, or however, however we've been saying it, I wanted to be consistent with myself, so I'm just going to go ahead and say Patroclus. <laughs> Um, I thought there were a lot of really lovely moments in their, like, burgeoning relationship where they would kind of, like, notice each other. And I think there's a line very early on where, before he even knows Achilles, Patroclus says, like, I wanted him to look at me again. And I was like, oh, my God, that's my entire high school life. <laughs> I wanted him to look at me again. And there was just so many, like, lovely moments in him, like, picking the figs for his, like, birthday breakfast yes. and wanting to surprise him and just all these little tiny ways that they showed each other they cared about each other. It just made it such a lovely love story for me. I loved the scene in the cave or maybe it was on the mm -hmm. beach. I don't remember. But he was like, my mother doesn't watch us here. <laughs> and then they go yeah. to bed and it was like that awkward like, is he asleep? Is he awake? What does this mean? What did he mean by that? Like, I loved how yeah. she wrote that because we haven't been in that exact situation, but I think we've all had a similar kind of feeling. Like, where will like, they, won't they? Yes, where you're on a date or you're wherever and you're like, oh my God, what does this mean? 
what's he going to do? What's she going to do? Like, yeah, you know, the, the closest thing I can think of is when you're like sitting in a movie theater beside someone <gasps> and you're kind yes. of like reaching your hand over to see if they're going to like try to hold your or just, hand like, or not. Uncurling yes. your fingers. Yeah, like, like to like, try maybe. to like stealthily kind of be like, you can hold my hand now. Like, and, I'm ready. Yeah. And you don't even know what movie yeah. is playing anymore. You're just like yeah. watching them. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or the, the best move is when it's like, oh, this armrest is in the way and then they just move it back and then suddenly you're like leaning against each other <laughs> like yeah okay. i the it really is a testament to her writing how mm-hmm. well she did this romance the first time they have sex they're like 13 or 14 and reading it i i wasn't like oh, this sounds like men having sex. And it wasn't, I didn't feel gross about it. Like, oh, this is like children having sex. It goes back to kind of what I said before, where I felt like their love really transcended all kind of like human emotion and human like attributes. Because reading that, I was like, I could feel all of this love so clearly. I just felt like my heart was like gonna explode with the feeling of happiness for them. And it was short enough that it wasn't dragging on and telling the whole thing, but it still felt really like sensual and tender. And yeah, very tender. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was just great. Yeah. Oh, I I loved all of the stuff with Kyron and their training and learning and like self-exploration. I love that whole bit and i didn't even know chiron i had heard the name but i didn't know that he was a centaur who like taught all the heroes so that was really cool yeah the the romance that she portrays is it is so beautiful and it is hitting back at the age-old debate because it's never explicitly said in the iliad that they're lovers you never know and historians ever since have been going oh such good friends and <laughs> yeah this man he, oh, that's he weird. just gals being yeah pals. and this oh he he went and basically killed the best warrior of the trojans and then he basically died oh he must have really liked his good old pal and oh my yeah God. there's a whole just like let them love each there's other a whole set that's of people. why in troy um brad pitt <laughs> has sex with briseus <laughs> yeah yeah i i was trying to remember that scene i was like who is he having sex with in the movie because like i was not buying it they made patroclus like, his like cousin Pitt. yeah like no thank you wait they made her what they made patroclus um achilles's cousin in the That's troy really movie weird yeah because it definitely would have made things a little weirder a little bit and it is i mean the times have changed (laughs) not that much either (laughs) yeah that's an age-old debate like when i was saying alexander the great used to sleep with this under his pillow and like plato was also a big fan of the iliad and there were whole debates about at the ancient times about again semantics who was on top the question between those Mm. two and even now, historians are debating this in academic circles because so many people won't even entertain the thought that they could have been lovers. Oh my god! Guys, who do you think was ridiculous. on top? Achilles. <laughs> yeah, it was Achilles. Oh no, I, I, I think it was, <laughs> was Patroclus. What? Yeah. Whoa. Because really? he he was always the one to kind of like make the move. Achilles into this like mortal <gasps> being. Yeah. 
He was the one who kissed him first? I think I think it was Achilles. I'm not buying it. Oh, I mean, I, <laughs> I think am. also they could switch. <laughs> yes. They could yeah. be first. Yeah. I think they totally could, yeah. But I think Achilles is probably usually You can be a pitcher and a catcher. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, but if you're a pro baseball player, you're not switching. Anyways, I don't want to go with that metaphor. <laughs> just, just stop. This is a very academic discussion we're yeah. having. So uh, why don't you call in? Let us know what you think. <laughs> yeah, do a doodle poll. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a question for Cora, which is that we all know the myth of Achilles, and we all know about the myth of Achilles' heel. Yes. And that wasn't really an element of this book at all. I started highlighting, or like tabbing, <laughs> um, instances where Miller referenced Achilles' feet, because there were a surprising number of them, and I kept thinking, oh, it's foreshadowing, here mm-hmm. we go, it's talking about it, but it never came to happen, so I was hoping you could talk about it a little bit. Yes, please. I can a little bit. So, there's, in the Iliad, actually, you don't see Ach- Achilles die. It is not a part of the story. Um, the idea of him and his heel comes from different uh, stories and different retellings. I think the Little Iliad is one. There's also an unfinished work called the uh, uh, Achilleanaid, I think. Uh, don't quote me on that. But we don't actually get any of the myth about his heel from this story. What the references to feet are is actually from the Homeric epithets. Because Homer, in his writing and in his storytelling, almost never just says a name, always gives it with a descriptor. We get um, Odysseus of the Many Wiles, which is Polymetus Odysseus. We also get um, Beautiful Helen, or we get a really great one is Paris Like Paris. And (laughs) yeah, he gets his own because it's just who he is. For Achilles, we get swift-footed Achilles the most. So that's where I get the feet thing. The idea that he, the uh, the Achilles heel comes from other stories in which Thetis, who is determined to make her son now stronger than its father, dips him into the river Styx except holding him by the heel. There's also stories where she covers him with ambrosia, the nectar of the gods, to burn out any mortal part of him. But it's actually not a part of the Iliad itself, and so some people prefer to go um, other routes, like some of the vase drawing descriptions of Achilles' death actually has an arrow going through his chest instead of through his ankle but both myths um actually exist co- um side by side okay that's, hmm, interesting. that's so interesting yeah and i i really liked even i mean i didn't like when achilles died <laughs> but i liked how it was written like i i loved the visual of paris getting ready with the bow and he said where do i aim i heard he was invulnerable except for which is like oh there's that hint And then Apollo's like, he's a man, not a god. Shoot him and he will die. And so he aims. And then I think it says, um, he breathes a puff of air as if to send dandelions flying to push toy boats over water. And the arrow, oh, sorry, the god touches his finger. That's what he did. So Apollo just like briefly touched Paris to help him. And there, I just love the visual of like someone getting ready and then someone else just like, Slight suggestion, you know, and then boom. And like, I just thought that was really cool. I love that part too because it's also saying no mere man can kill him, a god has to help. Mm-hmm. And then the next part, like when the arrow goes through, Achilles hears the faint hum of its passage a second before it strikes. So he probably could have moved if he wanted. But he didn't. 
Yeah, he turns his head a little as if to watch it come. He closes his eyes and feels its point push through his skin, etc. So it, it was like a big exhale, you know, like, okay, I'm ready to join you. Like, I've, it's, I've run my course, I'm ready to join you. Ugh! I know. Mm-hmm. All the feelings. It's like his fate the whole time was to be the hero at Troy, but then he decides, no, his fate is to be with Patroclus. Yes. <sighs> okay, the wine's hitting me now, and now I'm feeling really no. sad. <laughs> oh, no. Um, did we want to get into um, kind of our favorite quotes? I know Kelly just uh, read us one, which was oh, so lovely. That, that was wasn't my, my favorite, too. though, but I just wanted to read Well, that. then why don't, you, why don't you read your favorite? Okay, someone else go first. <laughs> Okay, well, I can read mine because um, I've got it right here and it makes me feel things. Uh, So this is when, I think before they've really fallen in love, but you can kind of feel that the love story is is brewing between Patroclus and Achilles. And as we swam or played or talked, a feeling would come. It was almost like fear in the way it filled me, rising in my chest. It was almost like tears in how swiftly it came. But it was neither of those. Buoyant where they were heavy, bright when they were dull. It was just such a beautiful description of love and happiness and just, like, not knowing what to do with all of your emotions. Yeah, I found she had a real talent for kind of not just saying, like, I felt like this, Mm -hmm. but saying, like, I felt like this, and it was almost like this, and then kind of tying together it with, like, imagery. Mm -hmm. And, like, it was almost like seeing the, I think there was a line about, like, a shadow, being the shadow under the hawk. Mm-hmm. And it just gives you this kind of like true appreciation of the feeling rather than saying like I felt love. Or like saying like buoyant and heavy. Like mm-hmm. you know what yeah. those feel like. You've been in you've been in water and like floated and felt that kind of weightlessness. Yeah. That kind mm-hmm. of like image oh, it's so good. This is halfway ish through the book. Later when he slept and I lay wakeful and watching under the stars, I thought of this. Knowing that he had asked warmed me, it chased away some of the coldness of the days here in the palace when he was wanted every moment and I was not. As for the goddess's answer, I did not care. I would have no need of her. I did not plan to live after he was gone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It hurts. It does hurt. It hurts me so much. (laughs) Oh, I think I found my favorite part. I think. Let's hear it. hear it. There might be others, but I think this is the one. It's pretty early on in the books. Chapter 10. A surety rose in me, lodged in my throat. I will never leave him. It will be this, always, for as long as he will let me. If I had had words to speak such a thing, I would have. But there were none that seemed big enough for it, to hold that swelling truth. As if he had heard me, he reached for my hand. I did not need to look. His fingers were etched into my memory, slender and petal-veined, strong and quick and never wrong. Patroclus, he said. He was always better with words than I. (laughs) I had already said one of my favorite lines, which is the iteration of the there are no pacts between lions and men. That's 
my all-time favorite. But my other favorite is, like you said, when they're lying in bed together and it's just a very intimate moment. I think it is after they've been, they've had sex, but it's just a moment where they're just lying there and looking at each other. And Achilles, I think he, he's fingering the, at the very end, the very edge of uh, Patroclus's throat and just saying, have I ever told you that I like this? And motioning the different parts yeah. that he liked. And then uh, Patroclus says, uh, is motioning towards Achilles and says, this, I say, this and this, the way his hair looked in summer sun, his face when he ran, his eyes solemn as an owl at lessons, this and this and this, so many moments of happiness crowding forward. Tilly, are you okay? <laughs> Yeah, no, it broke me. I'm crying. Yeah, that again. part that that quote oh, that God. gets me is it's not just their looks; it's just the memories that they have, and that comes through at the end when Patroclus says, "I am made of memories." That that is every moment of happiness he's ever had. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was just so sweet. I mean, this is truly star-crossed lovers. You know, like. It their love transcends, like Nikki said. It is a soul connection. At the very end, when they're not together and they place the ashes together, and he's like, "But I still wasn't there. I was so terrified that he was never going to be joined with him." I and actually want to so read that part because that's actually really yeah. beautiful. Please do. Servant girls are sent to collect the ashes. They carry them to the golden urn where I rest. Will I feel his ashes as they fall against mine? I think of the snowflakes of Pelion, cold on our red cheeks. The yearning for him is like hunger, hollowing me. Somewhere his soul waits, but is nowhere I can reach. Bury us and mark our names above. Let us be free. His ashes settle among mine, and I feel nothing. Yeah. I cried so much. Tilly's crying right now. crying right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's fully, it's fully gotten to me. It's just um, Well, if we're, if yeah. we're torturing ourselves, I'm going to read oh, one more do quote, it. too. Yes. How about it? We love because to torture this one, ourselves. <laughs> we love to torture ourselves. Okay, this one really got me. It's near the very end. Um, I think it's about, it's during the Trojan War when Achilles is just being the, the big hero. And Patroclus says, He seemed so much the hero, I could barely remember that only the night before we had spit olive pits at each other across the plate of cheeses that Phoenix had left for us, that we had howled with delight when he had landed one, wet and with bits of fruit still hanging from it, in my ear. <laughs> and it's just that, like, you know, that, th- that they're completely at ease with each other, that they've always been able to, like, have fun and be themselves and just be silly and be boys mm-hmm. and, like, that that was what they had together and then when they were out in kind of like the public facing world Achilles was just this like impenetrable hero mm-hmm. man and Patroclus looks at him and still remembers the like the the joyful person that he is and it's like he uh, knew the real yes. him yeah and, oh my god say, everyone Greece knew the hero but Patroclus knew the man you know he knew the soul so yeah Oh, it's so sweet. Wow, this podcast should be titled, like, an hour and a half of us just crying about this <laughs> <Truly>. love story. <laughs> it's just so sweet. But I gotta say, to lighten up the tone or lighten the mood, where was the Trojan horse? Is that not in this? Is that not in that <laughs> nope, story? Nope, it's, it's also not, not in the Iliad. <laughs> okay, 
Yeah, I was, like, I was kind of horse? waiting for that too because I was like, oh yeah, they infiltrate Troy in the horse. Yeah. Well, wasn't it the Trojans <laughs> used the horse? Yeah, it's called the. I don't know. It, it's actually again appears in other works about the time, especially like the Little Iliad and stuff. Um, but not actually in the Iliad proper, which ends with the death of H- of Hector, basically. But okay, the Trojan horse did happen, and it was Odysseus's plan, and it was after Achilles had also died. Okay, because yeah, the ending after Achilles is dead, it's like okay, Madeline's like we got to wrap this up because no one cares about Pyrrhus, who is his son, who is a complete shit. Okay, he's Joffrey. 2.0 or 1.0 because he was the first yeah, one. Patient okay. zero. Like, he was terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just to lighten the mood. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I needed a good laugh. No prob. But yeah, I'm glad that Pierce was like, fine, you can put their ashes together. Like, oh, thanks, bud. You know? <laughs> but no name. And then Thetis was like, all right, I will do my magic and commemorate you with my son you know like thank god thank the gods <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean in a way cora i understand why you told me you should not read this because it will devastate you but also i feel like it's a book that's going to stick with me because it devastated me and that's what i do find is i have a tendency to kind of like try to shield my tender little heart from um a lot of really intense sad and horror and like tragic stuff because i know how much it gets to me but those are the stories that i remember because they do get in right they get mm-hmm. to you so i'm glad that i read it i'm glad we're reading it for this podcast because mm-hmm. it was i'm sorry beautiful. i deprived you of yeah. it for so long <laughs> no no that's not what i mean at all i just i it, it's just something i've been thinking about where it's like i do tend to kind of shy away from these types of stories because i i don't want to like feel too much but yo, feeling so much, that's my it superpower. Is. At the end of the book, I found myself kind of, and I feel like I should say this because it might be kind of weird. I've, I've been re-watching the American Gods series yeah. lately and this whole mm-hmm. idea that um, gods are, will die if they're forgotten and all of this kind of thing. And reading the end where they finally get to reconnect in the underworld, I was just kind of having this like feeling like, what if they're out there? right now and every time somebody like reads this book and like remembers their love they're happy remembering their time when they were like on earth together and i was like oh that's so sad and that's (laughs) such a beautiful idea because that goes back to what achilles wanted that's why he went to troy so that he would be remembered and he is (laughs) yeah okay is achilles Addie larue (laughs) don't even Don't He's like, remember me. Ever please remember me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing. But I mean, it's a similar idea, it right? It is. About being remembered and our legacies. And because that's why I said earlier, like, he just wanted to be loved. Like, whether it was from his mother or Greece or Patroclus, like, he really did. He wanted to be remembered. He wanted to be loved. So, and he was. And more importantly... He and Patroclus in this story were loved and remembered by everyone. And they got to be together in Elysium at the end in the forever afterlife, so. Yes. What is the very last line when they do come? It's like a shadow or something. Yeah. In the darkness, two shadows reaching through the hopeless heavy dusk. Their hands meet 
and light spills in a flood like a hundred golden urns pouring out the sun. Yes! So see, it is, it's hopeful and beautiful at the end, you know? It's a good sad. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's a good sad, but it's still... <sighs> yeah. I'm sorry. We're gonna let this episode finish now so that we can all go collect ourselves and weep in our own little private with homes. more alcohol <laughs> yes with more of that mold wine have you read this book listeners if you haven't why are you still here but <laughs> if you have read it what are your thoughts were you an achilles fan a patroclus fan did you love all of them all the characters let us know what you thought please leave us a rating and review on apple podcasts if you have any suggestions hit us up on our instagram or facebook thanks so much for listening to this episode of the byob podcast and a huge thank you to our special guest cora if you enjoyed this and want to hear more from us you can head over to our social media accounts to keep up to date on all things byob Stay tuned after this to hear the first line of our next read, which is the first book in a popular young adult series, Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson. It's a mystery novel about a famous private school and an unsolved murder. See you next time, and until then, keep on drinking in great stories. Cheers! Next time on BYOB, the Bring Your Own Book podcast, you know I can't let you leave. 